someday when I like when I'm out of shits to give, uh-huh. I will go bald. I'm totally fine with just like not having to deal with hair. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'll miss it, but I feel like that first few days of just like fresh, clean, no drying your hair in the shower, no shampoo. Yeah. Else. I don't know what my scalp looks like though. <laughs> <laughs> I had to guess white, round. Well, that's what I'm worried about. It's not going to be as round and smooth as I would hope for. It's <laughs> going to be like lo- misshapen and uh-huh. modeled with mm-hmm. flat and round areas. So that's what I'm saying. I only do it when I'm out of shits because I already know I have a lumpy head. I got like there you go. my skull bones sticking out in the back. I got, you know, where men go bald, like that part is like flat on my head, basically. Uh-huh. I don't know if I was dropped or something. That would explain a lot, I guess. <laughs> Welcome to episode 399, the calm before the storm. The anticipation. Which we have nothing planned for 400, so 400 will probably be just like a normal episode. But 399 is still a cool number, right? Like, it's like uh, 1159 on New Year's Eve, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like a price tag, you know? Design details, just 399. See, I'm thinking about it like a clean start is coming up, right? Like, we're about to get rid of all the cruft of the mm-hmm. 300s mm-hmm. and we get to start the 400s with a whole new operating model we can do whatever we want sure including doing the exact same thing <laughs> yeah yeah but it's our choice right at that moment just as a you know experiment maybe let's try that <laughs> hypothetically what if we changed nothing, nothing and just continued providing great audio content for designers there you go uh by the way wh- this is 399 of what and who are you Oh, welcome to episode 399 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Lovin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Very long intro there, but uh, yeah, yeah, I think the number deserves it. Yeah, we found our way. All good journeys, you know, have some stumbles along the way. Journey before destination. All right. Well, we have a packed, packed outline today. Let's get into it. Huge shout outs to our new very important pixels this week. We got a bunch of VIPs. Huge shout-outs to Javier Olivez, Ash Oliver, E. Silly, Pronounceable, Michael Wilkins, Mark Lee, Zlatan Hajrudinovic, Derek, Betty Lau, Key Sun, and Alex Miller. Hey, good list. Uh, I think you might have mispronounced one of those, but... uh... I'm not which sure one? which one. I don't know. <laughs> the thirdish or something like that? Oh, this one should be pronounced easily pronounceable. Nice. <laughs> yeah, someone changed their name to easily pronounceable in quotation marks. Amazing. Yeah, just keep in mind, we will read your name on Patreon. Although, to be fair, this person DM'd me and, and said this was their preferred pronunciation of their name was easily pronounceable. So mm-hmm. thank you, everyone, for joining the fam. Thank you. Be sure to catch your very first sidebar, sidebar this week sidebar. where we talk all about Google I.O. Our hot takes, our first impressions, what's new, what's cool. If you didn't know, this show is a listener-supported podcast. That means that listeners like you make this show possible for us to record every single week. And in return, you get access to double content, a bonus episode, an extra segment every week, lovingly dubbed The Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. The Sidebar is like a bonus episode. It's an extra topic, an extra uh, listener question, just a little bit of extra design conversation to keep you going through the week. Today's sidebar topic is an event recap of Google I.O. Hey. If you want to hear all of our past sidebars, 
today's and all future sidebars, getting access to all that design details content in the future, head to patreon.com slash design details. Starts at just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. And we really appreciate your support. We are inching so close to 600 patrons, making this show possible every single week. So thank you all. Thank you to our new VIPs, very important pixels this week. Once again, that's patreon.com slash design details. All right. Tiny bit of follow-up via a tweet. Uh, this week we heard from Sam Chang, a.k.a. Sam Chang Sucks on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Sam Chang says, loved this episode. Curious how y'all feel about design folks who are curious and interested in non-design side projects. Would that also stand out to you? A while back, I would be incredibly interested in doing all things tech for my side projects. For example, learning React, making websites, etc. But now I've been delving more into music making. That's what I'm most interested in right now. But I always feel bad for not returning to those tech side projects, even though the interest is just not there. So Marshall, we were last talking about proof of curiosity last week as a way to stand out. We mentioned that side projects were a good way to demonstrate proof of curiosity. Do they need to be industry specific or relevant here? Uh, it doesn't hurt. Probably helps. But I guess it depends on how you go about those other side projects. If it can give me an insight into how you think and and you're uncovering interesting things. I mean, I too dabble in music, Brian. I, I, I like a lot of my YouTube algorithm is like music analysis stuff now. And um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we are all multifaceted beings. And I, I think you can prove your curiosity through a, a lot of different media. It doesn't have to just be design stuff, but it's easily translatable if it is design because you can be sure that the person you're you're talking to is going to know that stuff, they might not have any interest in music. So it might not actually have the same impact for them as it does for you. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I feel like it it depends on the side project. It depends on how you talk about it and communicate it. Like if you're trying to get a job somewhere and and your side projects are going into your portfolio presentation or something like that, then the company certainly would matter, right? Like if you want to work at a company that builds tools for musicians or to help musicians make music and your side project is making music on your own, perfectly relevant has nothing uh-huh. to do with the design or or the product you're just in that ecosystem right like you care about that audience in a particular way so that seems like a huge bonus but yeah i mean it, it seems like we could easily straw man some bad examples of side projects where they're totally legitimate side projects but probably aren't that relevant to a career in tech so i think we might need to wave the big it depends flag <laughs> but in general like it's your website, it's your portfolio, put whatever the hell you want on there. Your mileage may vary based on how you do that and, and what the content is, right? Sure, sure. But yeah, if your Ira Glass taste meter says that it's good and you're happy with it, you want to show it off, like show it off. Yeah. Just thinking out loud, like one cool way to show it off is to show your learning process or iteration over time. Mm-hmm. I think about like, I know a couple of designers who are into like woodworking and pottery and painting and what I really appreciate is seeing their tweets over time. And you could go back and sort of scroll through their tweets of artwork and look at their process from a year ago to what it is today. And very clearly identify growth, interest. I don't know. Those are positive signals to me. But again, maybe not super relevant in a product design interview loop for a database management tool. I don't know. Okay, we're going in circles. Yeah, we're going in circles. But I think generally a, a self-driven motivation to do extra credit you know, and to like occupy your time with something that isn't a complete waste of time is uh, always seen as a plus. 
Yeah. Okay. A little bit of news this week, Marshall. Uh, did you see the new Apple Watch assistive touch announcement from Apple? I did. I did. Yeah. It's kind of making the rounds on Twitter for like a day mm-hmm. and then people stopped talking about it. But the demo was really impressive. For people who haven't seen this, what's the recap? Sure. It's uh, hands-free navigation and interaction with your Apple Watch so that people who have different upper limb ablements, I think is how they phrased it, or you know, anyone holding, say, a child or a bag of groceries or something like that can navigate their wrist on their other hand without having to drop the thing that they're holding. Yeah, this is. it feels like one of those things. Well, by the way, so it works with hand gestures, right? Like clenching your fist, rotating yeah. your wrist, pinching. I don't know exactly how it's working. Just some way that those movements activate your muscles and put tension against the watch in some way, right? Yeah, or the accelerometer or something. Yeah, pinching something and clenching and then, yeah, slight yaw and pitch variations on your wrist so that you can... You remember those old, like... Uh, ball and a maze things where you have two knobs and mm-hmm. you tilt the maze and move the ball through and there's a bunch of holes that you gotta navigate through yeah it's like that basically but with a cursor <laughs> it's like that on your, on your wrist it's just uh-huh. like that yeah yeah which the, the reason that they're kind of a puzzle is because they're a little bit difficult there's no holes on your watch face that you're gonna <laughs> yeah. fall into but you do have to move that cursor to a specific point and then hold it there long enough for it to activate and do the virtual tap right so I'm really glad that you used that word cursor because over the years we've talked about different input mechanisms on mobile and we had an episode a while back called Designing for Mobile, I think. And it was funny because at that point we egregiously left out cursors as a mobile design interaction pattern that you had to be familiar with. But of course that was around the time the Magic Keyboard had come out, the new one with the trackpad. And so when I saw this video, I'm like, ooh, now we got cursors on the watch. And I feel like I don't know exactly what the underlying tech will be, like if developers have to do anything manual to to sort of get that feature for free, or if you've built your own custom buttons, if you sort of need to retrofit them with support for cursor interaction. But it was another example of like, all right, interfaces continue to get more complicated with the ways that we can now interface with them. In this case, a moving cursor that floats above buttons and needs hover interactions on hover watch, on a watch which is pretty crazy yeah. <laughs> yeah hover on a watch is buck wild but we got yeah. it now so how much longer till we have hover on phones right yeah at least for some users really cool I, here's my my working conspiracy theory okay this could just be impossible but there's got to be something here my hunch is that this is technology that of course is for accessibility But I think Apple is also going to use this to seed some kind of training data for augmented reality manipulation. So Mm. when they have the glasses, when they have the contacts, whatever it's going to be, there will be a way to pinch an object in AR, manipulate it, rotate it, put it down, move it to a different location, and it's all going to be syncing seamlessly with your watch. Obviously, it would put you into like a one-handed interaction, but... Yeah. You know, you could imagine like reaching up and swiping or like pinching and zooming on some sort of overlaid interface in AR. I don't know. There's just got to be some Mm. interface that's going to happen there. Mm. What do you think? Mm. You look skeptical. Well, I'm just thinking uh, most people wear their watch on their non dominant hand. So I'm going to be flailing around pretty uncontrolled if that's the case because I wear my watch in my left hand and I am useless on my left side. My right side is the good side. So how's that going to work? 
Do I have to change my watch arm? Do I have to wear two watches? Why wouldn't Double they just watch. have a, a handheld well, remote, you know, a handheld control? New accessory, right? Like you'll have your watch and then yeah. there will be like a very slim, fashionable wristband for your other. Mm-hmm. And that snap will, bracelet? Yeah. Snap bracelet. <laughs> yeah, the 21st century snap bracelet. I'd fucking buy that though, awesome. for real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not a bad idea. TM, TM, TM. TM, uh, TM. All rights reserved. Design details. Apple, you're not allowed to do it now. Yeah. <laughs> quick, jump on Apple Snap Bracelet. Snapple Bracelet real quick. Oh, my God. I don't know. We're getting it's another right company there. in on this now. It's right Snapple. <laughs> all right. Well, anyways, very cool tech from Apple. A little bit of news for you. Cool. All right. Main topic, Brian. Main topic time. This week, we have a listener question coming to us on GitHub. From Yu Zhao, who asks how to develop, quote, strong opinions weekly held, end quote, for visual design critique. Yu continues, the question can be broken down to three parts. Is there such thing as strong opinion weekly held for visual design? Two, how to develop a strong opinion for visual design? Three, how to present visual opinion to others without seeming arbitrary? When I give or receive feedback on the visual design, sometimes I or other designers will use phrases such as, I feel like, or it's looking a little weird. Phrases that don't convince me that they are strong opinions. Other times, I see people, myself included, making arbitrary visual suggestions or even decisions that feel very much like opinions strongly held. I wonder how to develop strong opinion weekly held for visual design critique. Man, I love this phrase. I heard it relatively recently, like a couple years ago. I'd never heard this phrase before, but I love it. It's a great idea. But what does it mean, Brian? Should we define it for those of our listeners who haven't heard it? Yeah, let's define it. I think we can borrow from Google for this one. Yeah. Uh, if you dig in, apparently the source of this is a Stanford University professor, Paul Sappho, who sort of coined the phrase. And we'll have a link to a Medium article that kind of explains what this looks like in practice. But we, we pulled a choice quote here, okay? So here we go. Strong opinions weekly held. Allow your intuition to guide you to a conclusion, no matter how imperfect. This is the strong opinion part. Then, and this is the weekly held part, prove yourself wrong. Engage in creative doubt. Look for information that doesn't fit or indicators pointing in an entirely different direction. Eventually, your intuition will kick in and a new hypothesis will emerge out of the rubble, ready to be ruthlessly torn apart once again. Yeah. I mean, this is science, right? Like, this is basically the scientific method. The scientific method, but just for taste, right? Basically, (laughs) yeah. Like, yeah, you have an intuition that something is good, something is right, something is Based on everything I know, this is how it should work. All right, now let's test that. If it doesn't hold up, now I have to figure out why the thing that actually does happen is happening. Uh, this yeah. is this is how all research studies work. This is how the scientific method works. Yeah, this is how it should be. Yeah. I, I think it's important also to call it this is this is for non-objective factual things, right? Like this yeah. This phrase applies most when you're in situations where there is no correct outcome or at least the outcome is complex or you're not sure. Or you might be under like a time constraint, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what should we prioritize for the next quarter on the roadmap? Like maybe there isn't a right answer, but you need to have some framework for guiding a best guess decision, right? So, okay, we've defined strong opinions weekly held. Here's kind of where I, I would start on this. I feel like 
it all depends on what the visuals are that are being critiqued. And there are visuals that play different roles in interface design. Most often, the visuals will be in service of some function, right? Like, do the visuals afford that a thing can be tapped or that one thing is in front of another or that something moved in a certain direction or something is pending or something is listening? All of these things are visuals in service of some function. And that is where I think you can actually develop a framework for moving closer towards the truth. Like there's some measurability, right? Like you could A-B test the visuals and get some sort of maybe quantitative, but at least qualitative. Like, yeah, that feels more correct. Um, like imagine the the Siri interface for Siri is listening for a query, right? Like this morphing bubble that's like a computer listening to you. Like the visuals of that could certainly be iterated on so that users feel like there's more understanding that the computer is waiting for them to say something. So yeah, when we're in that world where visuals are in service of some function, uh, that feels perfect for Strong Opinions Weekly Health. Like you're just going to learn more. You're going to get data to support one way or the other. You're going to talk to some users who agree with one point of view or another. And I think being able to distinguish those kinds of visuals from perhaps just decorative visuals or visuals that are really truly opinion-based or just taste-based like being able to make that distinction, I think, is where we should start. Okay, so when we're dealing with visuals that are in service of some function, there will be change over time. And I don't think that there's like a correct thing. So this is back to the you know taking your opinion and proving it wrong, ripping it apart, changing as the tides change. And so I think good examples here are we just interface with computers in different ways. You know, we're just talking about cursors on the watch and there are now new ways to interface with your watch. And the visuals for that will probably evolve as things become more accurate or people become more comfortable using it. Same with like different kinds of gestural inputs, same with different frame rates on screens as we start to rely on things like voice interfaces more or as we're more worried about privacy and security on our devices we might end up needing to come up with new visual systems that make those patterns more obvious or clear, right? Like we're kind of rallying around orange and green dots somewhere in the top right corner of your screen to indicate (laughs) your mic is on or your camera is on, right? Like we very quickly rallied around those small visual elements as signifiers of some underlying security and privacy controls. And those might change, right? Maybe at some point they won't be dots, they'll be icons, and then they'll go from icons to little waveforms. I don't know, those could evolve, but I think those will only evolve as like consumer demands and consumer comfort with those systems changes. Feel this way a lot about like type weight, font choices, corner radii. Like look at iOS 7 to now, right? Look at Windows Vista to Windows 10. Things change. We've just like gotten to a different level of comfort with interfaces. Well, I think, I mean, you make a good point there. I think you said iOS 7, but like even back to iOS 6 and before, like look at the transition from 6 to 7. All of the necessary button things we need to do to make buttons look like buttons became unnecessary because people figured out like a button is, you know, as long as it's, as it's sufficiently separated from the things around it and, and it looks buttonish, it doesn't have to look like a fucking yeah. glossy button sticking out of a hole in a console. Like it can, uh-huh. you can take away some of that stuff. Because people got it, right? But they couldn't have done that initially. They needed to get people on board, right? You got to do that for 
five, six, seven years or however long it was. So yeah, there's a, definitely a zeitgeist, right? <laughs> like we just move through interface design trends mm-hmm. and, and sometimes they stick around, right? Like we got a floppy disk to mean save. That'll probably mm-hmm. always mean save unless something changes, but like what the fuck? Who's used a floppy disk in the past two decades? Like, yeah. you know, it must I mean? be such a weird icon for anyone born after the year like 1996, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just like, oh, it's just that shape, right? And yeah. that shape means save. Okay, fine, got it. Actually, what we'll probably do is we'll end up in a place where everything just saves automatically for the most part, so you don't even need to manually save anything. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, save buttons just don't even exist anymore. Yeah, I feel like, okay, so zeitgeists are going to change. Some things might just remain arbitrarily static. But I think it it's a, feels a little bit like fashion to me where we're also going to go in circles, right? Like this isn't a straight line. I feel like right now we are in round gradient phase and you can start to sort of see squarish, flattish kind of re-entering the vogue. Like, okay, we took every button to be fully round and super bright. Let's walk it back. How about a nice little six pixel radius button with uh, a black background? I don't know. Like, I think we're going to go in circles and waves. And as we go through those waves, like my last point on sort of articulating visual opinions is a weakly articulated opinion will feel squishy, but I don't think it's invalid, right? Like I think saying something feels off or something feels old, I think those are valid, but I think that our job as designers engaging in critique is just to get better at reasoning about why they feel that way, why something feels off and being able to move beyond it feels off to it feels off because, and then being able to lay out the clear reasons. And then if you want it to not feel that way, being able to suggest, you know, it feels old to make it not feel old. You could do this, this, and this. And like, that is the art of just building expertise in visual systems and understanding the patterns available to you and, and the zeitgeist and what's come before, like that just comes with experience. So that's, that's my take is like, I think it's okay that it's squishy, but we should all be striving to be a little less squishy. Yeah. Yeah. This, what do you, do you agree? Do you, I mean, I'm totally down to debate this. No, I totally agree. This, this kind of uh, aligns with our sidebar episode from last week about the helpful hierarchy or whatever it was called. Uh-huh. If you're just saying something looks weird, that's on the bottom rung, right? Yeah. But you want to yeah. work your way up and be a little bit higher than that. So yeah, being able to say it feels weird. And the reason I think it feels weird is because if you look at that element, it's kind of close to that thing. If you look at this key line, it's not quite lined up with that other thing there. I think maybe if we did this, it might help a little bit. Or if we did this other thing, that might help a little bit. That's far better than just saying, this feels weird. Having an explanation for it is always going to be better because now you're closer to a solution. Totally. Where do you think uh, Where do you think design systems play a role here? Because uh, maybe this is lazy of me, but I've just sort of rallied around design systems being like an abstraction layer for visual decisions. Like I don't have to think about visuals because... Apple and Google and the GitHub design systems team thought about visuals and like I can just put stuff. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, no, totally. To yeah. an extent. And the, <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking about this as we went through this question of like, yeah, how, where do design systems come in here? Well, if your design system is sufficiently robust and mature, then any question that would be brought up wouldn't be answered by the design system inherently. So, uh, but, but I think also there's a, a point to be made of like, 
There's probably some sort of precedent you can point to, or at least some sort of part of a pattern that is similar to the thing that you're debating that you could look to and use as a foundation for your intuition or a foundation for that hypothesis of like, well, we haven't done anything specifically like this before. Not exactly, but we've done something kind of similar. And here's what we learned from that. And like, maybe this is a good place to start of like inheriting from that other thing that's kind of similar. Just getting to that first step, though, is is the most important thing. And maybe you can leverage your design system or at least the, the bones of it to get started. Yeah, and I feel like that circles us perfectly back to this original definition of Strong Opinions Weekly Held, which is it's simply a framework for making decisions when there's uncertainty or time pressure, but then inviting the result of that decision to be changed over time. So yeah, just like get the first thing out. You don't need to sit around and debate the exact opacity of a scrim or the exact offset of a drop shadow. Just make your best guess with the currently available tools to you, whether that's a design system or or some pre-existing primitive in, in the OS or like whatever it is, and then iterate as new data comes in, as you talk to customers, as the zeitgeist evolves. You're always going to be wrong. Like That's what I've <laughs> learned about my intuition is it's yeah. like, I don't know, 40, 50% right, you know? Yeah. And not even like I'm 100% right 40 to 50% of the time. It's like every time I'm about 40 to 50% right and I've gotten about 50 to 60% of it wrong. But that 40, 50% was great place to start because then I learned that other 50 to 60%. You know what I mean? I think I followed those percentages in your math here. I think something checks out. I was going to make the like, you know, it works 80% of the time, 100% of the time joke. <laughs> There's something no, but I'm saying it doesn't do that. Yeah, yeah. 80% of the time it works 100% of the time. No, no, no. I'm saying 100% of the time it works 40% of the time. The opposite, yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah. You know what's crazy? Tell me if you feel this way. I feel like the zeitgeist for good visual design, at least on mobile, is changing so quickly that things that I thought looked okay last year already look so 2020. Oh, like, give me an example. Um, name names, Brian. I want tea. Okay, okay. If I had to put this into words, I think it is just we go through these cycles of saturation in our apps. Like Spotify used to be an earthy green. Now it's a digital green. And this recently happened with Discord. They went from like a pastel-y purple-blue, blurple. Oh, their official color is blurple. It's kind of pastel-y. But now it's brighter. It's more saturated and vibrant. And it feels like a digital version of the original color, if that makes sense. But I feel like that cycle, that like muted pastel to bright, vibrant, digital neon, that cycle is changing every year. You just like flip back and forth. All right, this year we're going to chill out on our colors a little bit. And then next year we're going to make them all bright and saturated. And it's going to look fresh and clean. Same thing is happening with gradients. Like, an overuse of gradients was very 2020. And now you look at it, it's like, yeah, that's too much. I'm going to tone it back down a little bit. We're going to have some more subtle gradients. I would say we're still in the midst of super rounded pill buttons, rounded everything. But I feel like some other apps coming out, I'm going to struggle to point at exact examples. They're starting to tone it back. Like, hey, we might actually have rectangular buttons. They're still pretty round, but <laughs> coming yeah. back off the pill hype cycle. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree on the fashion thing. Like, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Like, I wonder how long our cycles are going to be because we haven't had enough time to do a full cycle, right? For the last 
decade or so, 8-bit has become popular again in gaming. And that was like, 8-bit was all you could do at one point, right? And then now we have these fully rendered, beautiful, real-time games that look almost photorealistic, but we still have indie developers making 8-bit games or even AAA developers making 8-bit games because it's become back in fashion again. Uh, it's not as big as it used to be, like maybe five or six years ago. Like it started to drop off a little bit, but like that was a fashion trend that came back around. So that's on a, like a what, like a thirty-year cycle, forty-year <laughs> cycle, or something like that. Yeah, thirty-year cycle, yeah. which is kind of close to what fashion is, right? That's like mm-hmm. on a forty-year cycle or something, right? So yeah, we're back in nineties jeans right now. So that sounds about yeah, right. yeah. And we went through bell bottoms like fifteen years ago or something like that. Like those came back for a little while, or like flared jeans or whatever. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I think obviously these are these are going to cycle. We just have I'm not sure we've made our way all the way through a full cycle. Like when we get back into skeuomorphism, that's when we can stop our stopwatches and and look at it and go, okay, the snake has already started to eat its tail again. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like we're sort of inching our way back there. For me, I'll look for like an inset button that where the gradient sort of inverts when you press it, right? Like it looks depressed into some container. Like when we get there, I'll feel like we've done a full loop. I don't really expect a green felt game table to make its way back into game center, for example. But I think we'll see it in more subtle ways with buttons and shadows and things like that. Yep. All right. Well, hopefully this was helpful to you. Let us know. Uh, follow up with a comment on the issue if we can dig in anything else. Otherwise, let's get into cool things. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> you want to go first? Yeah, your turn. All right. I have a cool little tech thing this week. So I've been on a long search for a good bedside charging situation. And I don't know about you, Brian, but every night I go to bed, I have three things to charge. I have my AirPods Pro, I have my Apple Watch, and I have my iPhone. And I think we've talked before on the show about me trying to find a AirPad. Is that what it was called? AirPower? Air power, yeah, yeah, apple juice, whatever. The me trying to find a third party alternative to that thing that Apple never actually finished building and releasing. So I've not been very successful middling levels of mediocre. So mm-hmm. I kind of like threw up my hands and and I've just been using those snap chargers recently that I, I mentioned a few weeks ago. Yep. And I recently stumbled upon this, which is the best thing for my situation. So it is called the Belkin 3-in-1 Wireless Charger with MagSafe. It's a beautiful little circle base stand with a chrome two-branch tree coming up, if you can imagine. So it's like a trunk coming up and then two branches coming off parallel with the ground perpendicular from the trunk. On one side is a phone MagSafe white disc and on the other side is a watch charger disc right they're angled slightly here's a little thing though the watch disc is angled slightly more up more towards the ceiling than the phone one is i haven't uh-huh. figured out why they did that i guess it's probably to keep it from sliding off or something like that it's trying to angle it as much as it can without maybe it doesn't have as strong of a magnet yeah. it do- it definitely doesn't and so then at the bottom there's a little divot a little circular divot that your airpods go into and those do like a little chi charger thing right so all three things have a little home and those are the three things that i need no more no less uh-huh. and it looks beautiful when there's nothing on it it's nice and white and chrome. It looks really nice on my nightstand. And when stuff is on it, like it's the perfect solution. What do you think? Well, Brian? I'm looking at the product detail page and it looks great. But I clicked back out to the Belkin homepage. And on the Belkin homepage, they show this product, mm-hmm. but in a matte black. Ah. And that's more my speed. There you go. But 
I don't see a way to buy that because when you click on the picture of the matte black one, it takes you to the white chrome one. Huh, and there's not. A oh color wait, no, color's one. black. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Oh, the black one go. is available. Yeah. <gasps> Hold the phone. Uh, it looks great. It's uh, a little pricey. It's yeah. That's the thing I was gonna get to. So it's 150 bucks, which yeah. is quite a lot. But I've been unhappy for so long. I was like, this looks <laughs> right. I'll send it back if it sucks, but it doesn't suck, so I kept it. Here's where I could possibly get behind buying this, although I think you can buy this without the watch part, and it might serve me a little better, is I want something like this for when I'm prototyping on my phone or I'm mirroring from Figma to my phone. I want something magnetic, so it's really easy for me to pick it up and and play with it and interact with the prototype. But when I'm not holding it, I want it to be perfectly angled in such a way that I can just sort of glance down and make sure what I'm designing in Figma is reflected correctly on device. And I've tried crazy stuff in the past to get this to work. I mean, I know you could buy all sorts of stands that will do this correctly, but getting a stand that charges, that has a good weight, doesn't feel cheap. I've bought air vent, like clip chargers, you know, like that you're supposed to clip to your oh, car yeah, vents. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've like clipped those to a shelf on my desk underneath my monitor, but it was always uh-huh. too flimsy and wobbly. Mm. So I guess my question for you is, is this heavy? Does it feel yeah. like substantial and weighted? There's yeah. no there's no budge when you take stuff off it. Yeah, it, it, it has mass for sure. Okay. Yeah, it's that's it, it feels heavier than it should for its size. Okay. All right. You can't pull the phone straight off, but if you like tilt it at an angle and break the seal, it won't move at all. And nice. definitely not okay. at all for the watch. Well, I'll look at it for a while. I just don't need it. I again, I'm one of those people it's like, oh, fuck it. I'll just plug stuff in and unplug it. I just got a new test device, though, so now I'm down two plugs. So uh, I need to buy, figure out my plug situation on my desk. Yeah, yeah. Hey, man. Snap MagSafe thingies. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, they're good. Okay, cool my thing? cool thing this week, Marshall, is going to be something... I already know you're familiar with it, and I'm kind of familiar. I've never watched this television show, but my mom watched it when I was growing up, and she loved it, and I never got into it, never tried it, and a tweet recently came across my feed that was a joke poll that said, what is the best television show of all time? And option A was The West Wing. And option B was The West Wing. And option C was The West Wing. (laughs) Uh And I think option D was like C results. (laughs) And so I'm like, all right, all right, all right. It's time. I'll check it out. So I watched the first two episodes of The West Wing yesterday before coming over to see you. And uh, it was one of those moments where I'm like, oh, this is what inspired all of these other shows. Like, it felt like Veep, right? Yeah. Or at least yeah, exactly copied the pacing and tone. Veep adjacent, yeah. Veep adjacent, yeah. What was surprising is everything kind of holds up so far, two episodes in, from like a situation point of view. Like, the situations are generic enough that it's like, yeah, that could be happening today. I think, you know, a helicopter got shot down transporting a medic and, you know, this person is a high-powered political figure and they accidentally slept with the wrong person. And like, I don't know, all these situations feel relatively, not timeless, but holds up today. You're like, ah, I could squint yeah. and that could happen today, right? That could happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyways, I don't know. Tell me about it. You you have more familiarity with the shows. Do I pursue the, the long grind or what should yeah. I do? Here? I mean, I haven't gotten that many seasons in. I think we're only on season two or something. But I mean, I love Aaron Sorkin. I mean, you knew as Aaron Sorkin joint. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So if you like Aaron Sorkin, it's just going to be more Aaron Sorkin for, for like several more seasons. That same pace, that same level of cleverness and wittiness. It's just, I mean, 
It is not a background show. That's for no, sure. You, you have I, to pay attention. Paying very strong attention. With subtitles on, like you got 100%. Yeah. Yep. yep, 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 yep. But if you're paying attention, it is a great show. And there's some feel-good moments, and there's some really like cool, how are they going to get out of this situation moments, you know, plus a killer cast. It is peak 90s. If you're interested in like what it was like to be alive in the 90s, this is a great time <laughs> capsule. Uh-huh. They had they have a bit in the first episode where they they accidentally switch pagers. Like, uh-huh. Oh, come on. Yep. <laughs> yep. This is this is the part that doesn't hold up. Oh man, <laughs> we accidentally switched pagers. Yeah. Who, who could have uh, thought? What a mix up. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, anyways, uh, that'll be my cool thing this week for anyone else who's been West Wing curious. Give it a shot. Water's warm. I'm still waiting <laughs> in myself. Yeah. You know what's really cool is Allison Janney who plays CJ, like the press secretary uh-huh. lady. She during the Obama years, without any warning, came out to a press conference and started addressing all the reporters in the pit. And everybody was laughing, but like she she held a straight face and like came out as if it was just another day at the office. It was amazing. Oh, that's awesome. But uh, yeah, I'm glad you're watching the show, man. Yeah, I'll keep you posted. I'm not watching too much else right now, so we'll see if I keep going. Cool thing. All right, let's get out of here. All right, this has been episode 399 of the Design Details podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter, as always, at Design Details FM. If you did enjoy it, if you've been listening for a while, or even if this was your first episode, consider supporting us. We're on Patreon, patreon.com slash design details. For just a buck a month, you get access to a bonus segment of the show every single week called Sidebar. Sidebar, Sidebar. Sidebar is more or less an extra episode. Uh, we answer an extra listener question, talk about an extra design topic, and sometimes when there's events... We'll do an event recap. So this week we're talking all about Google I.O., our first impressions, and a whole lot more. So if you want to get into our past sidebar backlog, this week's sidebar, all about I.O., and future sidebars going forward, getting access to all that design details content, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash design details. Just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. And that's it. Catch you next week. Bye. Yeah, we found our way. All good journeys, you know, have some stumbles along the way. Journey before destination. That's a deep cut for my Brandon Sander fans or whatever. Sander fans? (laughs) Fandersons? I don't know. (laughs) Fandersons? Fandersons. It's too close to Flanders. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Fancy pants? (laughs) Yeah, there's something there.